0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition, a special edition, the 50th episode of Dan and Benny in the Ring. Benny, uh, joined as always, of course, by uh, the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny... When uh, we started this, I, I showed you that article. It said the average sports and entertainment podcast th- lasts three episodes. We're at number 50. What do you think?
1: I think we're doing something right. And this is a great episode. We got a really great guest tonight. Very yeah, excited.
0: Couldn't ask for a better name to do number start number 50. So why don't you uh, tell everybody who we got on the line with us? Yes,
1: sir. So this gentleman is a true legend of wrestling, uh, mostly in the Memphis territory, but also in other territories. The man has won enough gold to occupy a wing at Fort Knox, literally. And, I mean, he's one of the, the to me, the, when you say the name Superstar, there's three of them. Each one of them a legend. The mass Superstar, Billy Superstar Graham, and our guest tonight, Superstar Bill Dundee. Mr. Dundee, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hi, guys. Glad to be here.
0: Excellent. Glad to have you. It's such an honor. We've had a chance to talk in the past, and I it's always great to hear the stories, the tales, and we're going to get right into it. Um, I know Benny's got himself a good question. He wants to talk to you about Australia. But I want to know, before we start, I've seen uh, – follow follow you on social media. I've seen you advertising your appearances, the uh, toy show – or uh, the toy and car show you were just at recently. How's it feel to get uh, back into the swing of things, get back on the road, back into the conventions, and still – be as popular today as you were those years ago.
2: <laughs> well, old people
0: show up when I'm there. No, it's it,
2: it's good, it's good for you ego and makes you feel good. So, and wrestling, they can knock it all they want, but but it's one of the most white sports in the in the world. So they can say anything they want about it, but we're still around.
1: Absolutely. So, Bill, the last time we chatted actually was on my 65th birthday. You were a guest on this, uh, the previous iteration of this podcast. So now a year and a half later and I am now 48. So obviously I'm a graduate of the Scott Steiner School of Mathematics. But uh, I wanted to go back in the time machine about 50 years or so and talk real quick a couple of questions about Australia. I I had heard another interview you did and you mentioned uh, some of the superstars that you work with in Australia like Mark Lewin, um Bruce Bernard, Skull Murphy, uh gentlemen like that Spiros Arion. Um our first guest on the new version of this show was Dominic Denucci. Did you ever have a chance to work with Dominic?
2: I never actually more against him. I've been on shows with him and I knew him and I liked him. yeah, but I never actually got the re- wrestling.
1: Oh okay. Uh, yeah, he was there for quite a while. Um, now the, yeah, he was a big star. Absolutely. Big star yes. over there. Yes, sir. Now, um, I I have a story that I wrote about another gentleman that you worked with in Australia. It's yet to be re- released. I write for the Pro Wrestling Stories website. The gentleman's name is Mario Milano. Um, I, In my story, I kind of uh, contemplate whether Mario was very big in Australia. Yes, yeah, yeah, he was. Now. There was rumors and when he was in the WWF in the New York Territory in 1970 for about a year. um, There were rumors that when, you know, Bruno was ready to hang it up for a little bit as far as, you know, reducing his schedule and stepping down as champion, that they were considering Mario Milano to be Bruno's replacement. Do you think he was over enough that he could have carried New York for a bit? Well, I never actually saw him.
2: I just knew him from... Australia, so yeah. But I don't know how he was over over up there, you know what I mean? So no, but he got over like hell in Australia, so and he could work.
1: I I remember him being a phenomenal worker. I don't really remember him as much of a talker though. Um, no I I didn't I mean I I've seen a couple of interviews from Australia, but when he was in in New York, he didn't really get on the mic a whole lot. But you know, wound up being Pedro Morales, but I always thought Mario might have been a good choice. Yeah,
2: but he, he talked Italian.
1: Oh,
2: a lot of Italians in Australia, so he could talk Italian and talk to his people. You know what I mean? To so a good old like, hell in Australia.
1: Well, I mean, and kind of that, that was my my reasoning was, you know, same thing with Bruno in New York. You know, Bruno. Obviously, I grew up on Long Island. You know, I'm Italian. You know, half of New York is Italian. And uh, you know Bruno would always end his interviews uh, with, uh, you know, Bruno. Can I? Can you uh, say a few words for your Italian fans? And I, I would have thought that would have been right up uh, Mario Milano's wheelhouse. I hear you. I was just curious about that. Yeah. You, you know. So say it again. My somebody called
2: the other line and cut me off. Oh. Ask me that again.
1: No, I said, you know, you said something about Mario speaking Italian. And, you know, when Bruno Sammartino did his his promos in New York, the very last thing he would be asked, especially in his early, uh, early uh, tenure, was Bruno, can you say a few words for your Italian fans? And Bruno would speak in Italian. I actually, what I would do is, you know, my mom spoke fluent Italian. I'd scream for my mother to come to the living room so she could translate for me. Um, and I hear I- you. That, I would think something, that would be right up Mario Milano's wheelhouse. He could have done the same thing. Yeah, because there's a lot of Italians
2: in Australia.
0: Definitely. You know, I... I uh transitioning obviously Benny hit it on the head when he introduced you the uh and when we had you on on the previous iteration I said you'd be without question on the Mount Rushmore of Memphis and Southern Wrestling transitioning from Australia to Memphis uh Benny and I've talked so much on the show and we've had guests talk on the show and one of the names that comes up a lot he's actually a sponsor of ours is Jimmy Valiant and I know you you've crossed paths with him many times and I was wondering if you had any any good anecdotes you could share with us as we have Jimmy booked for the show next week. All right. Week. Handsome Jimmy stories? Yes. Is that what you want? Yeah, yes, I was sir. hoping you got a good one.
2: Well, let me think. <laughs> Handsome was a different kettle of fish. We was in the same business, and we go along, but we never hung around away from the ring, you know? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I don't really have none of that stories because we never hung, ar- uh, hung around. How was how was he to work with though, Bill? Because you did work with him quite a bit.
2: <laughs> 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 I, I like the wrestling. Around. Hanson couldn't. He tried, but he, he, there was no shooting it in him. He was strict strictly a worker.
1: He had a little bit of a different style than you did. Yeah. No, I definitely understand that. Well, I
2: learned re- the when I started, I I learned to wrestle. Hmm. Y- yeah, you had to wrestle in Australia sure, back in them days. But no, anyway, that- when I came here, it was all different.
1: Well, so go ahead, Benny. So, Bill, in, in Australia, if they thought that you couldn't take care of yourself, would they try to shoot on you? Well,
2: not really. Shoot, shoot, in. Mean, let me give you this. I have never seen a fucking shoot in professional wrestling where two people got mad at one another. That has never happened. And I've been in this business for 40 years. So they'll tell you bullshit about it. Nobody shoots, so you can hear stories this and that. But I don't know none.
1: That's very interesting, with this, especially with your your many many years of experience. So I mean, what happens if somebody gets a little bit stiff and like you had mentioned on in an interview, like somebody you know somebody gives you a, a spud and then they give you another spud. Oh yeah, spud, well, then we'll then you just give you it back to them. Come. I mean,
2: yeah, that'll happen if somebody well, then, spuds then, you then, and you, then, and you then, think. They're meant to do it, you'll just you'll do it back to him, but Is, is it over there? You, Yeah, you, you get over it or they would come back to dressing a room, hollering screaming at one another, but that was about
1: as you, far as it went. Go out for a beer afterwards? Well, I guess unless you're in Mid-South. Oh, yeah. South. You couldn't do that in Mid-South though, right?
2: Yeah, no. Bill wants the different cattle of fish. He, he would instigate the fight.
1: Well, didn't, so, I mean, we're jumping around here a little bit, but didn't Bill Watts, I guess, if you were to lose a bar fight, wouldn't you get fired? Well, I said
2: that, but I never saw none of the boys lose one, so I don't know.
0: (laughs) I can't imagine you guys lost (laughs) a very few fights. Kind of an empty threat when you got a roster full of people that can kick ass. Right. Right. And all, all
2: big sons of bitches. I mean, I was awful little to be in the wrestling business, but I was really too small to be working for Bill Watson, Louisiana. But I was the booger and the power of the pencil, is that's all the the power you need.
0: Fair enough. Speaking of booking, Memphis, I mean, legendary. And and I want to commend, too, uh, when you said you've never seen wrestlers shoot on each other. I'm I, that's incredible, especially how many moments in Memphis felt so real that I genuinely thought, oh, the, these guys are really beating the crap out of each other. Um, but speaking of the territory, Memphis was famous for just so many good storylines, moment after moment after moment. I mean, keeping the fans interested week in, week out for years. I is, was that, and a lot of it was surrounding you and Lawler. Was that you guys with the input, uh, Jarrett? Like how did Jerry you guys? Come okay,
2: Jerry Jarrett was
0: was the brains. With me and George Barnes, came
2: here, in seventy six Jerry Jarrett was running Memphis, and he kept running it all the time. I worked for him, so he was very smart in this bit in this business. I don't know if you know, him, or you've been oh, around him, but
1: absolutely.
2: he was one of the smart smartest guys I know.
1: Now, bill after a while like once you were there and you kind of established your you know your credibility and your drawing power would, did you have any input into the storylines I mean could you suggest things to him oh, yeah I became the booker right but I mean even before that like could you say you know hey Jerry I think this might work and would he listen yeah for me I, I never did it
2: back in the good old days everybody did that the Mongolian stomper would put his input in for him. I would do mine. L- Lawler would do him. He, we all know what we want to do, do in a match or TV or whatever. So yeah, you was in control of your own destiny type thing.
1: But so Jared actually did take those kind of things. I mean, I'm sure ultimately he made the final call. But he actually, oh, yeah. Took... He,
2: he, yeah, he would
1: either itch Nate like it or not. But yeah, I. So, um, and along those lines, I, 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 you know, you you were a booker. You were a booker actually in several territories. You were a booker in the, you know, in the in Mid-South, Memphis, and uh, I guess for Jim Crockett for a bit. Um, yeah, in Kansas City. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, um, what was your style of booking? Um, it, like, you, you, I heard in a previous interview, you talked about Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes pretty much would tell you what was going to happen. I think he said, uh, you know, when you were going to be uh, Sir William for us, you know, for uh, William Regal, and when you were going to team with Jimmy Garvin. um, Did you actually, you know, it it sounded like he was kind of more. It was more of a not really a democracy, but a dictatorship, kind of. But were you were you more of a, a, you know, was it more democratic with you? Did you take other people's ideas into consideration? Oh, well, yeah, but. Like a gimmick, like Sir William,
2: nobody know really knows what's happening except the guy that's doing it. That was
1: that. I, I thought know, it was a what, perfect. Interview
2: that really, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I was a little English guy in the land of giants. See, you gotta remember, I'm only five foot seven and 210 pounds back in the good old days, six foot one, six foot two.
0: With the normal height. Well, let me ask you then if we can go back and kind of circle around. You, we talked on on your first iteration, your your time before wrestling with the uh, performing and and um, the the, the, circus the circus and whatnot. Yeah did did you did the the work there did that kind of prepare the style that you had being you know uh, uh having performed in a profession more common with people your size and then transitioning to wrestling or was it a real stiff learning curve when you when you stepped in the ring with the giants
2: No I could wrestle and they all knew it I didn't hang up on you did I No not I at all on here. I pressed the button. I don't know what the fuck it did, but anyway. <laughs> That's still here. Yeah, so I was, I'm only 5'7". Like I told you back then, 220 was heavy for me. So all the guys were fucking six foot 240, 250. The big guys, 270, 275. Well, if the button's sitting, you got to put the little guy over there and look at you like, talk you, but they would they, they would do it. Everybody was business. I never had no problems, you know. But
1: yeah, uh, Bill, I like I was saying that I, you know, I'm a I've been a finance guy for my my whole work career. I, you know, I'm a money guy, and I'm very interested in like you know and and contracts and things like that. And I was I was making a comment that back in the day. You guys really didn't know from week to week how much your paycheck was going to be, as opposed to now when these guys have guaranteed contracts. You know, I I use baseball as an analogy. All these guys that sign these 10-year, $300 million deals, they they suck after that. They they really don't have a reason to, to, you know, to to give it their best. Their money is guaranteed. Their future is guaranteed. They'll never have to work another day in their lives, whereas you guys— yeah, from week to week, your life was on the line. So do you think that has uh, something to do with why wrestling is not as entertaining as it was?
2: Well, everybody wanted to be the man of it because it paid more. And people. if you could, if you got over and, and you drew money, the promoter loved you. Well, you didn't have to be the greatest wrestler in, in the world. Handsome Jimmy ain't the greatest worker in the world he could talk and he would he was over so everybody wanted to book him you know what i mean
0: yeah i mean look at some of the bigger names uh you know from from like a hulk hogan for example who no one will ever put at the top of the wrestling skill world but he's statistically one of the biggest draws in wrestling history right Well, if we can keep him uh, with that idea of the, the draws and the wrestling, um, you know, Benny, Benny said he was going to talk to you about the the famous incident. So I'll let him get to that. I want to jump on the uh, Benny talked about. You could fill Fort Knox with the titles you won. Um, according to wrestling data, you've held approximately 70 championships in the years, multiple titles, tag titles across the board, everywhere you've gone, you've been decorated with gold. And it's, it's one of those things where you, you don't put the strap back then. You did not put the strap on somebody that didn't draw that didn't couldn't put butts in seats, couldn't make money with, with so many territories and so much talent. What was, what was it, you had that it factor, and I was hoping maybe you could pick your brain a little bit on, on what was it about Bill Dundee, other than just your, your kick-ass persona, that that made everybody, any territory, anybody who could book a show, want to put gold on you wherever you went.
2: Well, I'm not bragging, but did you ever see me, see me when you young? I was fucking cute, and the gr- girls loved me.
1: Why are you and where uh, this
2: these girls you, come, just, this just, coming, This boys coming? You're still young, cute. what the hell? Yeah, I mean that—that that, that was it, and I knew it. You know that's how the people like me. Well, he's not big, but he's cute. So I just went with that. Well, that, well you got to is... be more
1: than cute, though. I mean, you were putting fannies in the seats, and that's really oh, the bottom line. Oh mark, yeah, right? yeah, that's
2: what it's all about.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, speaking of of cute Benny, I, I, I'm gonna. Sidetrack for a second here. Memphis, it seemed every time I, – I watched so many Memphis tapes growing up, and, and it seems like every time there was a, a match or a moment, you see somebody in the background getting tackled, getting pushed aside. Somebody was jumping the guardrail. So, uh, somebody in the front row was swinging an umbrella or throwing a drink. And the crowd was – it seemed like uh, a lot more female than today and a lot older than today. And it, 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 you you mentioned you hit it on the head there. You talked about the appearance. I mean, heaven forbid somebody like like you, Magnum Ta, Ricky Morton, who would put, who would draw the women if man heels put their hands right. on one of you guys, right?
2: And well, where does women come? Men Go are coming to.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm curious in your years, um, with was the crowd experience just that that different or were were for lack of a better term what was was it something that they were able to hype up was it was it as real as 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 hot as it looked on tape or does the tape not do it justice
2: no i would what you said, what you got see back in the good old days most of the boys went to the ring believing it's real and not come across to the people. You know, i watched tried to watch some adventure shit today, and it's off.
1: Well, I, I have a question along those lines, Bill, and this is, you know, this is science fiction now. Say you were in Memphis in 1982, and me and Dan came, you know, from the future, from the year 2021, and we said, Mr. Dundee, here's a WWE match, you know, from last week, and you saw, like, all this, like, you know, these dives and all this other crap. What, what would you have said, like, if you saw that in 19,
2: 1982?
1: For the first time? I mean, yeah, I don't words, quite if understand If you are watching, like, 40 years into the future, and you, you saw what the future of wrestling was going to be like 40 years from then, and, you know, it, how much different it is. And, you know, I mean, really, there's no there's no storytelling. There's no psychology. It's just a bunch of high spots.
2: Well, no, you wouldn't have believed it. But I mean, I'm a big NASCAR fan, and NASCAR's changed from the time I started. And Dale Earnhardt was the man till today. Even the car going round and round different, so everything changes. And wrestling in Memphis certainly changed.
1: You know, on the flip side of that, now suppose you're a Memphis wrestling fan in 1982. You go into a 39 year coma and you wake up and you're used to going to the Mid South Coliseum every Monday night and you used to going to the TV tapings, you know, and watching you guys with Lance Russell. You wake up in 2021. There's no more wrestling in Memphis. There's no more Lance Russell. You know, if if you're lucky, wrestling, professional wrestling comes to your town. Uh, once a year, twice a year, maybe? Are you, are you are you happy with that? I wouldn't be.
2: No, I don't think so, but you get used to whatever it is. I mean, when I grew up the, the movies, they were all John Wayne. Wayne now you go and look for John Wayne. You know what I mean? Everything's everything's changed.
1: I, I still watch John Wayne movies all the time. aren't Oh, many I them. do, I, too. I, I, I watch them all the time. They're still Absolutely. great.
2: Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a big John Wayne fan. Girl. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
2: But getting back to the wrestling thing, I mean, I'm not saying this was me because Ricky Morton did it. I did it when you were under six feet or under six feet, six tall and two hundred fifty pounds. It was hard back then to get in the business. Never mind become a star. Well, Jerry jenner. Like me and Jerry Lawler, and he pushed us like in Memphis. We got over, we drew money, so that helped. Then Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, we put them together as the rock and roll here, pushed them. They got over, then they went over to Charlotte for the Crockett, and they got over there. So it's all timing and some somebody liking you.
1: So, mm. so Bill, did you get uh, like you know women making cakes for you? And did Did they, they mail you their bras in, you know in the mail or anything like that? Did you, have, did you get that kind oh, of? Oh yeah, you all that. and
2: you all the bushy you want.
1: And and then their husbands showed up to get the bra back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all all kinds of women to say saying they'd uh, leave their man for the superstar, right? We have the same uh, thing on, on the podcast. We have the same type of adulation, so we kind of know what you went through.
0: Oh, okay, well, I, I mean if, if if Benny ever feels the need to save some for me, you yeah, know. We we all know where they're really looking.
1: <laughs> right. I got you. So Bill, I I am sure you've talked about this that you're blue in the face, but I have to ask you. And we we actually had Shane Russell um on the on the podcast about a month ago, Lance's son, and uh one of the things we brought up was the Tupelo concession stand brawl. And he said that Lance had no idea that it was even going to happen, uh, which, you know, really made him calling it, like, sound all the more realistic. Um, And apparently, like, was it something that you guys planned out or just kind of happened on the fly?
2: Well, no, nothing happened on the fly like like that. Jerry just laid that out for two weeks before we did it and then everybody knew their part and what you was doing. And...
1: But you got you guys executed it to perfection. I bet you if you tried to do it a hundred more times, you could not have done it as well or as realistic. I mean, I watched it for the first time about a year ago, and I'm, I'm sitting in my kitchen while watching on my laptop, and all I kept saying was, holy shit. I mean, I must have said it 50 times because it, it looked so real. I mean, you guys were beating the crap out of each other.
2: Well, that's what you did with that trying to kill one another but yeah that's what we did
0: mm. you know uh, I mean you guys did everything you especially did everything I mean we talked about champion Booker um, I-, I wonder if, if like we can transition a little bit um, does, with with that resume at that point what made you decide to go work for Bill Watts
1: a big pay a big paycheck What, was up. now obviously the travel? I know you've spoken and other wrestlers have spoken about the travel was absolute murder. But I guess it must have been. I mean, was the was the pay worth the travel?
2: Oh yeah, I think Joe making three 000, four thousand dollars a week back
1: then that was a lot of money. That's yeah, back in the seventies yeah. and eighties. So now, how was Bill Watts compared to Jerry Jarrett?
2: Well. Bill Watts, what you saw, what you get, and Jerry, Jarrett, what you saw is what you you got there, too. Bill Watts, big belligerent son of a bitch, could kick your ass, and he knew it. So, you knew where you was there. And Jerry Jarrett was, was the other way. He was small, and if he did, didn't like you, he just fired you. So,
1: you was out of a job. Now, was Bill Watts as approachable with ideas? I mean, I know you were the booker there, but even before that, as a wrestler, if you had an idea, could you go to Bill Watts and say, hey, I'd like to do this? Would he listen to you? There wasn't much wrestlers to with ideas. Pretty
2: much his show? Yeah, that was how you had to hire a booker. Now I would go to Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson and say, "Boys, this is what we're doing. What would y'all like to do?" And then they would give you the their version. So I would mull it over in my head if it was bad, in mine, or if I liked it, we would do it. And that, that's how the business worked back then.
0: Respect that. Well, you know, last, uh, Benny mentioned it, we, we had you on the show uh, for Benny's birthday last year and the, well, the previous iteration. We've talked about a lot of names that have come and gone, um, obviously, uh you know, people you've worked with. We spent a lot of time in the previous interview with, with your time in Memphis and Lawler. And we've just been talking about the rock and roll express. One of the names that came up, Benny and I were talking and I wanted to get your thoughts on is Terry Taylor. Uh, you've mentioned before you've called him one of the greatest baby faces to ever work. And I'm wondering since you were critical already of the current product uh, that McMahon has, if you have, I uh, I mean, one, if you have any any stories you'd love to share on Terry Taylor, and two, what your thoughts were on wasting such talent with a gimmick that was the, that became the Red Rooster.
2: Well, I mean Terry Taylor was a hell of a worker, and the good thing about Terry, you could talk to him. say, Terry, that sucked last night, and this is why. So, and we're going to do this tonight, and he would listen to you so that that's the the main thing about this business whoever's calling the shots has to be in charge and if he sees the match something and right you have to watch him out. and then go talk to the guy
1: bill is it true that uh terry taylor because I, i heard for a while there especially like in the early to mid 80s that he was considered a possible uh nwa champion and i i when I think about that, I mean the the guy had the look, you know. He wasn't a big big guy, but he was big enough, and he definitely had the skills. He could talk on the mic. Um, could you have seen that happening? Him being the NWA champion.
2: Yeah, I liked that. I, I, I would you know, I would use him the bet when it comes to watch. I put the, the belt on him a little while and watch You know, so I liked him. So, and so- the good thing about he could take direction. if you said, Terry, that sucked last night. This is why it sucked. And this is what we're going to do tonight. And we would listen to you.
1: So, like, because you, I mean, you've you booked for many, many years. Or What on earth could have possessed anybody in the WWE to, you know, when they saw a, a, a true talent like Terry Taylor to say, we're going to make you the Red Rooster? And it's you know in all in, in all for all intents and purposes, they buried the guy <laughs> you know for the rest of his career, he had to live with that.
2: Well, do y'all know vince do you, uh, do you know Vince McMahon
1: <laughs> unfortunately we, we've heard of him,
2: yeah, so I me mean... well, I went up and talked to sat in his big house before I left, fuck you, he said, fuck me, and I left.
1: (laughs) Now, so I've heard about that before. Um, I guess there was one guy in the WWE who, for whatever reason, did not like you. And do you know why that was?
2: Who who was that?
1: You had mentioned The Undertaker, for whatever reason, didn't care for you that much.
2: Oh, he married a girl. I used to fuck me. Oh. Well, it's a long story. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, yeah. Breaking news. You've never heard that on any podcast before. Now, now the truth comes out.
0: You're, I've read so many articles and heard so many stories through the years about the beef between you and Mark Halloway, and it turns out to be something so simple. Tale as old as time, right, Benny? He, he can't help himself, man. The guy was a chick magnet.
2: So I mean, back in them days, I was a little cute, cute devil. And if I was a girl and I had to make my choice between the Undertaker and me, I I know which one I would have picked.
1: That's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That takes all about two seconds. But I mean, I just can't. I can't like, like I said, you know. And there's there were other wrestlers that came into the WWE. And got completely buried by a, a crappy gimmick. But that was one I could never understand. It would t- I mean, I, I just, for the life of me, cannot understand why they gave him that gimmick. And the guy really could never be taken seriously again. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think Vince McMahon just, you know, everybody's expendable. You know, whatever, if, if something suits his fancy, he doesn't give a crap that the guy will never be able to work again. Even if no. the gimmick lasts for a couple of months, he'll get his mileage out of it, dump the guy, and, you know, go on to the next guy.
2: Right. Whatever Vince does with you, it's all for Vince.
0: Nope. No, no argument. Mm. Well, going from someone who did it for the money to someone who kind of did it for the love of wrestling. We, we talked a bit about it before. Um, obviously, you're, you talked about good faces. Uh, one of the best heels that came out of Memphis wasn't technically a wrestler. Um, I'm sure you've been asked a million questions about this, so we'll try and keep it brief. But I was wondering if you had any thoughts on Andy Kaufman as a heel in Memphis. I mean, he seemed to have a genuine passion for the business. He seemed to be a genuine fan of the product. Uh, he certainly cared about... What what would become known as kayfabe Wearing the neck brace on television And, and uh, at public appearances In and out of the ring uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, on him and, and was he as big A draw as The documentaries and what made it seem Or was he kind of a just a flash in the pan Booking gimmick
2: No he could talk If you could talk to This business you can stay, stay over forever T- Taking bumps in wrestling Has nothing to do with it it's all in the talking, and you look. I was a little cute devil that the, the girls liked. Most guys thought they could kick my ass. They couldn't, but they thought they could. And Andy Co- Kaufman was the same way. He was a little nerdy-looking guy that talked big when he was out in front of the wrestlers. So the people bought into the story, and that was it.
1: You know, I I find it amazing, though. I mean, Andy Kaufman, you know, huge, huge Hollywood star, right? And what does he want to do? He wants to be a wrestler. Of all the things he could have, you know, wanted to be, he wanted to be a wrestler. And on top of that, of all the, this is really the significant thing to me, of all the places he could have went, he came to Memphis. And I think that speaks volumes about the kind of product he was in down there.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Jerry Jarrett talks to you and it tries to explain what he wants to do with you. Bill Dundee does it. Paulie does it. So you know, Kaufman—he's from Hollywood, so he has a, that attitude in his head anyway. So you have to kind of stroke, stroke it. You know what I mean?
1: I, I just a theory on my part, and I'm sure, I'm sure he was paid well. Uh, But I have the feeling that if he wasn't even going to be paid, I bet he still would have done it. I think he really loved it that much. Randy? Yeah.
2: Well, we all did back in the good old days. But as we got over more and more, then we want to be paid. But, yeah, I believe what you said, Stu. When he started, he would have done it for – for free, but so would I. So would a lot or so.
1: Right. Got to pay the bills. That's just how it is. So, Bill, when we chatted on the phone when we first set up this podcast, we were talking about, you know, back in the day versus WWE. And you made the analogy that if you got kicked in the nuts in on Memphis TV, you were down for the count. Um, nowadays, you can get kicked in the nuts, pile-driven, uh, power bomb through about eight ch- uh, tables, and set on fire. And about a minute later, you're making a comeback. What? What? Like, what does that even? How can uh, a current fan develop? You know, the the whole suspension of disbelief. How could you even develop that now? Because it's so obvious that it's you know it's entertainment. Where back then, right. If somebody got kicked in the nuts, you thought, "Holy shit, that must have really hurt."
2: And even back then, and we were going to I kicked in nuts, you felt it,
1: right? But everybody, everybody in the audience was at least the males were probably groaning in pain with you.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably,
1: probably some women in the crowd hoping nothing important was damaged either. Well, especially that <laughs> <Bill's laughs> yeah, they might, uh, they might I have you. A date with
0: Bill after the show, so they they were really <laughs> they're really worried,
2: right? Oh, jeez.
0: You know, I, I've said it, Benny, it's come up before, you know, I always use the example. I say, you see somebody get power bombed off the second rope through a table and kick out at two. And as a fan, I mean, I just watched you, especially all these, these no DQ gimmick matches they have nowadays where, you know, I watched somebody get a half a dozen chair shots and tackled through a flaming table. And that's not the finish. And then the next match is normal. And I'm supposed to believe that, that, this guy can can be felled with a with a DDT when I watched him kick out of a table spot like it kind of kills the the mantra and no moves are protected anymore. I'm wondering right. obviously I, I I started the show talking about the convention and the fact that, that the wrestlers of your generation are still immensely popular um is there is there any way? To to kind of expand on Benny's question, is there any way to save it, or is is this one of those things? As we've had several guests on the show say, that maybe wrestling in its current iteration needs to die and be, come back from the ashes as what it used to be. Is there any way to save it, or go back, or is is, is the damage too? Is it too far gone?
2: Well, it's not really the business; it's too far gone. That's the boy. The boy is in it. The fucking the boys today ain't, are not smart, and when I say not smart, they don't understand what makes this business tick. Yeah,
0: there's, there's
2: bunch no... A bunch of guy in the nose, and he don't sell it. A bunch don't mean nothing.
0: Yeah and I think you see that with the psychology and the fact that the matches don't seem to tell stories anymore just the basic right. storytelling is gone.
2: Right.
1: Bill, you know, if, if you know obviously Vince McMahon bought the WWF from his father I think in 1982 you know and then the rest is history and he you know systematically you know extinguished Every single territory, you know, off, off the map. And uh, we've had discussions before, um, you know, about things that maybe could have happened differently to maybe avoid that happening. Like, one of the things, my, my whole thing is um, Vern Gagne uh, had Hulk Hogan wrestling Nick Bockwinkle in 1983. Hulk Hogan was 28, I think, 28, 29. You have just uh, off of making Rocky Three. um you know, hotter than hell, over with the fans. You know, Nick Bockwinkle, who I mean, who was a phenomenal champion. I would never take anything away from Nick Bockwinkle. He's to me, he's one of the greatest wrestlers ever. But, yes, he look, was. At, at, no, I mean, I have a huge amount of respect for him. But, you know, at the time, he was pushing 50. You know, Hulk's 20 years younger. Hulk is over with the fans. You know, you could tell, I mean, anybody could tell that this guy was going to be something in wrestling. And, you know, that so the match ended. You know, Hulk. You know, leg drop, pendulum, one, two, three. You know, Hulk's holding holding the title. You know, 20-something thousand people at the St. Paul Civic Center in Minnesota are going absolutely batshit. And then they do one of these dusty finishes where, you know, all of a sudden, well, you know, uh, 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 Hulk threw Nick over the top rope, which really, I mean, I mean, it did happen, but it was accidental. And so, you know, they took the title away. And, you know, Nick Nick kept the title. But uh, six months later, Hulk left for the WWF. Or WWF at that time, yeah, and 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 I mean that, that was a rocket ship to the moon for the next how many years after that. Um, so I mean, if something like that, were, if Vern Gagne had put the title on Hulk and let him stay there, do you think like maybe maybe the whole national expansion could have been maybe delayed a little bit? Maybe some of the, the territories would have lived a little bit longer. Well, the boys all got a different attitude. That
2: was the difference of it too. I mean, to me, it was a shoot. But the most of the kids today show me and the more silly shit they can do, the better they're it. Li- Different do era.
1: Do you think, I mean, do you think it was pretty much inevitable? Do you think, I mean, do you think at that point in the early 80s that the territories were kind of, you know, it, it was going to be a thing of the past? And it was unavoidable. Do you think, you know, maybe... I mean, Memphis lasted for a good bit, even after um, even after Vince bought the WWF from his father. I think that was actually one of the last territories to uh, survive, which is a testament to Memphis.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the boys attitude changed. I mean, it was all... I don't know. It was was all, always real to me.
1: Yeah, Bill. So, you know... Back in the day, so right now, uh, or as of a couple of years ago, really the only game in town was WWE. You know, they may, they might have employed, they might employ maybe 100 to 150 wrestlers thereabouts. But back in the day, when you guys were in Memphis, there were 30 different territories, and you know, it's even say each one employed maybe 20 to 25 wrestlers. So now you're talking instead of 150, you're talking about 750 professional wrestlers who made a made a pretty decent living. So uh, my my contention has always been that that pro wrestling was far better back in the day. It was better for the wrestlers, and it was better for the fans because you got to see more action. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, right. It was definitely better, better for the boys, and you're right. It was a better show for the
2: people to watch.
1: You know, maybe you weren't making the millions of dollars that these guys do, but, you know, you. A lot, lot of, a lot of wrestlers made a, a, you know, a really solid, decent living back in the day. If you were, you know, on top or even mid quarter in one of these territories, you know, you could, you could feed your family and then some. Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: four thousand dollars, a lot of money. Absolutely. Even today. Yeah, I mean, uh,
0: crunching the numbers for inflation. You know, $4,000 $4, a week in 1980, that's thirteen grand a week by today's money. That's, that's over half a million a- bucks, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, as one thing we, we talked about uh, with some of the smaller promotions, I mean, obviously uh, Ring of Honor running its last show, n- not anymore, but some of the indie feds, uh, I know we've got one here in Virginia that's doing very well. Benny, you, you've talked about the, the smaller promotions in Florida uh, some of the 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 NWA doing their online shows, and even AEW having uh, dark and independent sh- and online um, exclusive shows. You can make a living really running the territories again today in a way you couldn't ten years ago, and you know, you don't have to wrestle for Vince to be to be paid anymore or to at least survive because that was really going to the WWE was the only game in town for almost twenty years. Right.
2: Well speaking oh I'm sorry. See, I when we were in Memphis, it was the only game in town And Memphis and a hundred mi- miles around it, so that was what the terror the terror was, so and when Vince
0: took over what he did, he screwed it all up. Oh yeah. Speaking of, of Vince, you uh you shared with us earlier in the interview today, the rather amicable parting of ways you had when you visited Vince at his house. I'm curious. Uh, we've talked before. We actually had a, a shared a petition on the, on the fan page when he was still alive, but uh, Dominic DiNucci, Ivan Koloff, there's, there's names or uh, excuse me. um, <clears throat> There's names that belong in the hall of fame that aren't, in the WWE Hall of Fame and you absolutely belong in any wrestling Hall of Fame that would have you given your opinion and your parting of ways with McMahon, would you accept an invitation to the WWE Hall of Fame if they asked you?
2: Yeah, but I mean, he would have to know that was my turn, and I'm doing it for Bill, not for him. You
1: know what What I mean? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Bill, the one thing that when I when I used to listen to your promos, um, I always thought, man, this guy'd be a hell of a commentator. Was that ever something that you considered or was approached about? Well, yeah, I, here and there and do, but getting in the
2: the ring never gets out of, out of your blood. You know what what I mean? So I mean, once you. I, Done that for a little. Bit. That's all you want to do. I mean, even as That's a promoter,
1: when you when you were a booker, did you did you miss being in the ring? Or I mean, I'm sure there were times when you did both. Correct. Yeah, right. Well, when I took the job,
2: Bill Watson. it was just going to be the book be the booker. And the fourth weekend, I said, "I'm going home, Tennessee." He said, "You're leaving." I, Fucking right I'm leaving. He said the place is on fire. would we'll all make a lot of money. I said well I ain't happy in the money. That don't mean nothing. He said well what would it take Give you to stay? I said let me wrestle he said okay. <laughs>
0: that was that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> easy negotiations.
2: Right, I mean, I just want, wanted to work, and when you're young, young, and in this business, you want to do it.
1: You, you sound like one of the few bookers that didn't like, you know, use the booking to your, you know, obvious advantage, like a Dusty did or a Ric Flair did. You know, Ric Flair would always book himself on top. You know, uh, Dusty, same thing. So you seem like a little bit different, where like you know, you you kind of spread the you spread the wealth around, right? Well, right, and if you get
2: four or five guys over in your territory, it's better than
1: just having one or two. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier to book. Well, plus, you know, it's like with the, the old adage, you know, be careful. Uh, you know, on your way up, because you know, it, it, you, you don't want to burn too many bridges. Because maybe one of these people in the future, they might be the booker, and then they're going to remember how you treated them. So, if you treated them well, it's going to work to your advantage. If not, you know, they're going to make your life a hell. I would imagine.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, but even back in them days, there wasn't too many guys, guys could actually be the the booker. That's it. That's What. Well, I was gonna say this. It's an unappreciated job on on the other side. I mean, you gotta go to all the t- all the TVs. You write all the shit. You never get no sleep. But it's something you love doing.
0: It feels like it feels like a thankless job too. I mean, every time you you see. Somebody complain about an angle or a match. It's Booker this, Booker that. But when something goes wonderful and everybody loves it, it's man, these wrestlers are great, and what 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 great talent in the ring. You, you never really, I mean, granted, the the pure fans. We, we talk about people like Bill Watts and and you know say like what Kevin Sullivan did in Florida and and Graham and some of them. But you know, is is the booker is the Booker excuse me as thankless a job as it seems.
2: Well, it never was worse to me because if I didn't like, he wasn't there. <laughs> See, I always had, I may not have been the biggest guy, guy in the world, but I had this attitude you either do it my f- fucking way or you leave.
1: You know, but that list, list of good bookers no is pretty small, though. I mean, you know, you, you, you when you think about good, great bookers, you think about yourself, you think about Watts, and, uh, Eddie Graham maybe is another one that comes to mind. You know, I, I guess Dusty too, but it seemed like Dusty wanted it his way and he was always going to book himself on top as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, but Dusty, was, he was very good at what he did, booking wide, working wide, and he was great on the mic.
1: So he was, very good at what he did. So, Bill, if you, like, do you have like, if you could have done anything over in wrestling, uh, would you have changed anything that you did in your career? Uh, I don't think so. You like the way I mean, had a pretty damn good run for sure. Yeah, for a little bit, a little bitty guy, I, I had a hell of a run. You, ha- I mean, and you, like, you know, you hear about so many stories about wrestlers. You know, they had to leave territories because <clears throat> they were getting stale. And I, I, I don't think that happened with you very often in Memphis.
2: No, it never.
1: Right. If That's unheard you of. Have the pencil, and you're
2: conducting your your own fight. It, it's a little easier.
1: Right. I mean, even
2: if Dusty you're just Rose, one of, one you know, of the boys. Absolutely. Somebody I, else has got. Ah, no, go ahead. When you're just one of the boys, somebody else has you, your fate in their hands. But I always had my fate in my hands. I was always the booker.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's a testament. We were talking about, you mentioned being on the road, you know, in 1980, 81. I mean, that was 40 years ago. And here we are, you're still selling tickets. Come see Memphis wrestling legend, Bill Dundee, and people are going to conventions and events just for you. That's, I mean, think about anybody on top of the business today. And I mean no disrespect because there are some talents I like, but do you see, Benny, think about this. Do you see 2041 or 2061 people go into a convention to see Seth Rollins? Or or, or Hangman Adam Page still still being talked about, you know twenty fifty in like oh my god I remember the first time I watched him wrestle.
1: No, you never will see you'll, that'll never happen because like people don't have the emotional investment in these guys. You know they now you're a wrestling fan, but back then you were a Bill Dundee fan or a Jimmy you know Jimmy Valiant fan right or, or Jerry. So yeah, yeah. You you waited on TV every week. You waited until Bill Dundee. It's like, oh, that's my guy, you know. Or you bought a ticket. You, you know, you, you, you built, you made a sign for Bill Dundee, and so you're going to have fond memories of him. No, no fan today is going to have those kind of memories, right?
0: Absolutely.
2: Never really
1: looked at it that way, but that's exactly true. You
0: you know, uh, Bill, as we as we wrap up here. Technical connection aside, um, I can't thank you enough for for being involved. Um, I know Benny, uh, obviously last year he you you talked to us on his birthday, and we get you again here, and I, I can't express enough how how just awesome it is, especially being a fan of yours growing up. I know you probably get sick of of people. T- oh my God, you were my favorite, and I, and I loved you. Um, I, I I can't thank you enough for being here. I appreciate your time. I, I'm gonna a- end on the final question. Um, I follow you on social media I see the advertisements what's next What what's next on the horizon for the superstar well I'm gonna see how far
2: this wrestling business goes just the way it's going now, we'll maybe get back in the bar business I used to be in the titty bar business now that's another uh,
1: another hell of a job so
2: may do that but
1: and we, we get, Put we, up get we get complimentary tickets for right? you, you having you on the show. You what? So we get complimentary tickets for being you know, for you being on the show, right? To your bar. Oh yeah, I'll
2: you down there. We'll do a show from the, the
1: bar if we get, all location, get actually, it going. There you go. I like
0: that. Oh man. <laughs> 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 we we get the best offers. This job has the best perks. It would be like more like the breast offer. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> well, we don't want to keep you any past the agreed time. Superstar Bill Dundee, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, we love hearing the stories. Uh, Benny, we'll get in touch with you after uh, after the show. Uh, we'll try and definitely want to have you back. I know there's a lot more to tell. All right, brother. I
2: enjoy working with you, so anytime you need me,
1: you got my number,
0: just give me a call. We really
1: appreciate it, Bill. Absolutely,
0: Absolutely sir. Absolutely You've got it. it. I got it. All right, guys. Appreciate y'all. You all
1: do. Have a good Thank night, you. sir, and uh, happy holidays to you. All
0: right. You
2: all do.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Absolutely incredible. I know, Benny, uh, before we get too far into. Uh, Wrapping up, we wanted to get right Into the interview, uh, Bill's the kind of Guest, Bill of these the kind of guest you just want to Talk to, we don't want to gloss over Because we've got him on the show next week Our our Christmas special, we don't want to Gloss over our sponsor, why don't you give a shout Out to our sponsor before we wrap up tonight
1: With pleasure,
0: Dan and Benny in the Ring
1: Is brought to you by Boogie's Wrestling Camp uh, Founded in 1992 By wrestling legend Jimmy Valiant And his beautiful wife Angel, BWC Is situated in majestic Scenic Shawsville, Virginia Whether you want to be a wrestler, manager, announcer, or ballet, BWC is the place to be. At BWC, you'll receive the best possible training from Jimmy and his amazing staff. You'll learn holes, bumps, psychology, and promos. And the cost is only $250 down and $20 per session, which is very, very negligible compared to most wrestling schools. Uh, Boogie's Wrestling Campus turned out 29 graduating classes. The most memorable memorable alumnus being uh, AEW World Champion, Hangman Adam Page. So when you join BWC, you're not just joining a wrestling school. You become a part of the rest of the, the, the BWC family. Truly, it is a family there. Interested? Uh, visit JimmyValiant.Wheelie.com for more information on Boogie's Wrestling Camp. BWC, the ring of dreams, where the dream becomes reality. Oh, and tell them Dan and Benny sent you.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you can't really you can't talk about Jimmy Valiant without the, the interactions he had with Bill Dundee. I mean, that, that, that era of Memphis, Dundee, Lawler, Valiant, I mean, you you said it, you've you just said it before, Benny, the, I think that's probably peak, if you think wrestling territory, that was that was probably peak territory days. Well, they like I said,
1: I mean, Andy Kaufman could have went anywhere, he could have went to New York, I mean, he could have went to Texas, he could have went to Florida, he chose yeah. Memphis for a reason.
0: <laughs> And you're right. i never, I never thought about it that way. That he could, I mean, he was one of the biggest stars, biggest television stars in the world, and he could have done. I mean, the the I I don't I don't. <laughs> can you picture picture him in the ring, smack talking the Von Erics? Like I'm pretty sure that he, he would have made it out of the arena alive. Yeah. But you know, I I yeah. He, you're right. He could have gone anywhere, and he went to Memphis, and he specifically went to Lawler, who was the king of the territories at the time. Just great great stuff. Um, I mean. That's incredible and it, it, we had him on the show uh, the, the previous iteration you me and jason uh that was that was recorded a little over a year ago and here we are talked to another hour completely different stories i mean bill is the kind of guy you could sit down and talk with really forever and never run out of things to say it seems like right absolutely i mean i know it's it's not uh it's not in mass print anymore that's still available online. Anybody out there, the uh the book is called If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question. It's Bill Dundee's life story. Uh it, if you can get it, get a hold of it, I suggest reading a copy. It's it's great stuff. It's so much in there. And much like this interview, uh not not entirely family friendly. Uh might have to throw a little precursor. On the uh, on the upload tonight, Benny. Well, you know, I'm
1: thinking now. I'm thinking maybe like his booby bar could be our second sponsor. <laughs>
0: how, how did we end up getting sponsored by a Wrestling School and an and an adult entertainment establishment?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Oh man, that's good stuff. But um, as we wrap up, Benny, any final thoughts? No, I'm just you know you said in the beginning that
1: the average podcast lasts what three episodes.
0: Three episodes. And here we are
1: 50 episodes almost a whole year later. And I'm I'm having a blast. I mean, you know, I'm talking to people that I watched growing up as a kid. And I mean, sometimes I really have to pinch myself. It's like, am I really talking to, to Bill Vardy? Am I really talking to Jimmy Valiant or Dominic DiNucci or Ivan Putsky? And these are all guys that we had on this show and all like gave us great interviews. And I mean, just that alone, the the thrill of that. I mean, it, it's an enjoyment. And hopefully our readers our, our listeners uh feel the same way that they're they're enjoying these interviews.
0: Well, I mean, we we certainly we keep growing. Uh I mean, you know, we, we talked about it before when you're when you're counting your down and that's just downloads. That's not even live stream numbers. When you're counting your downloads in the thousands, I mean, we have a uh, four digit fan page in, in that, that started with a couple people. I mean, I think the first three or four people that joined our fan group. And when I, when we started that page, we're all fam relatives of yours. It was yeah, me. I think it was me, you and Javier were
1: the first yeah, three.
0: And then, uh, you know, uh, that and the, the badge of honor of your son being the first person blocked by, by Facebook's algorithm. He still talks about that. <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, considering it's literally two friends with a couple of microphones and a laptop, you know, was what we started at. I think we've done great for ourselves. Here we are hall of fame talent. And we talked about this before and I can't, I can't stress enough just how awesome this is, but we have people reaching out to us guests that come on this show, people who have done hundreds of interviews across the years saying, this is the most fun I've had in, in ages and then telling their friends, Hey, I'm going to give your number to these guys get be on their show. And I just think that's such a testament, and it's awesome. And as long as we're having fun, we'll keep doing it. So here's uh, to another Here's to another 50.
1: I'm good. I mean, you know, unless I mean, Bill might hire me as an accountant now that he know, knows that uh, I'm a finance guy. He yeah. might need somebody to manage that place.
0: Yeah, you know, it may manage all that cash income he's about oh, that, to start that, getting. Yeah, that's, that's cash, cash in the barrel head. That's that's great stuff. Well, it's uh, we're recording this December 14th. Uh, Anybody that's listening tomorrow, we gave him a shout out in the sponsor. uh, Hangman Adam Page, a student of our of our illustrious sponsor. He'll be defending the AEW championship against Brian Danielson at AEW's television. I I can't call it a pay-per-view their Their television uh, special event winner is coming. So check that out. Uh, Great stuff coming up. Obviously, next week, our Christmas special with the Boogie Claws himself. So for the BS Express himself, uh, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we'll see you next time we're in the ring.
1: Good night, folks.